Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If a person is a saint, and by that Paul means one who has obtained salvation by faith in Christ Jesus, how should they think about their salvation? Particularly in the sense of how their salvation began. How were we, as believers, redeemed? How will those we love be redeemed from their sinful state when they believe? Where does it all begin? This is important because how anything starts says a lot about how it operates. Well, I see that's as clear as mud. Let's try it another way. (laughs) The origin of any given thing says a lot about what it is and how it operates. It used to be that anything made in China was probably cheap junk, right? Not so much so now. But we will all agree that if a car comes out of the Rolls-Royce factory, it's going to be a very nice car, and it will operate flawlessly. And let's talk about the warranty. My dad, an auto mechanic with a fastidious nature, greatly preferred Snap-on brand tools. If you were for any reason dissatisfied, there was a 100% money-back guarantee. Absolutely. Just turn it in get your money back. And if the most unlikely occurred and a hand tool broke for any reason whatsoever, it was replaced free of charge. If you bought a snap-on tool, it was for life. In fact, beyond life. My dad's now in heaven, but if I use one of his tools and it breaks, I can bring it to them and get a new one in replacement. How about that? A guarantee that goes beyond life. And it only does so because of where the tool was created, where it had its beginning. Now, back to Paul and the Ephesian saints. What did they need to know from the very beginning about their salvation? What is it that is most important about the root of their faith, the origin of their redemption? Today we're going to see five points about our redemption that Paul thought absolutely critical, so essential did he regard these that he starts his letter to them with this intelligence. And then he builds on this instruction throughout the whole letter. If you read Ephesians, everything starts here. We will learn first the root of redemption from where it comes, its genesis, its beginning, and then the reason for redemption. We rejected God. Why not just leave us in our mess? Why are we redeemed? There must be a reason, yes? After that, Paul will give the recipe for redemption. That is to say, how is redemption achieved? Then we want to know the result of redemption. What happens because we're redeemed? And there's one final thing we need to know. Remember that tool warranty? What's the warranty in our redemption? 
Let's call it redemption's surety. How sure is our redemption? What happens if we break our redemption? (laughs) What happens if someone breaks us? Okay, got all five of them? The root of redemption, the reason for redemption, the recipe for redemption, the result of redemption, and redemption's surety or surety. Understand, this is important. (laughs) The Holy Spirit drove Paul to write these inspired words because they can change our lives. And we need to start with the questions, who and when? You know, when we think of our first birth, what do we want to know? Well, when was I born and who were my parents? Isn't that right we do? I mean, we want to go back, grandparents, great-grandparents. We who believe the words of the Bible know that every human being on earth shares an ancestry. We are all offspring of Noah and one of his kids. And clear back at the very beginning, there was one woman and one man who were our ultimate parents, Adam and Eve. Or are they? What does Luke say about Adam? He was the son of God. God is the real ultimate parent of every human being as to our first birth. And, no real surprise here, when we consider our redemption, our second birth, we find God there as well. All right, the root of redemptions. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Bless the Lord. O my soul, worship his holy name, sing like never before, O my soul. Yes? The Father, through the Son, in Christ, orchestrated the spiritual blessing of the new life that we now have. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Our spiritual life is ours because the true Father of us all wanted to bless us in heavenly places. Uh, where? <laughs> what does that mean? When thinking about beginnings, it's not a bad idea to remember where the finish line is. <laughs> you know, A good start is only a good start if it's headed in the right direction. <laughs> and when our Father God starts something, trust me, it's headed in the right direction. (laughs) God, our Father, has blessed us in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Before we get to the when, let's consider how we even get into this race. How did you decide the first time that you wanted to be born? Anybody? (laughs) Uh... Sounds like a silly question to me, you know. But there are those who claim that we were involved in our first birth. Religions that deny our need for God's saving grace that leads to our second birth, they also tend to promote the idea that we had a part in that first birth. You may have heard of karma. The idea that what happens to you in this life is directly related to what you did in previous lives. That's karma. The Mormons insist that we were alive before this life on some other planet 
And we chose our time of birth here and to some degree our place in this world. They believe that. These heretical beliefs want to avoid a central truth in Christianity. We didn't choose to be born the first time and neither did we choose our second birth. It is God and God alone who decided both. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Your salvation, my salvation, is not our own doing. (laughs) There is no work that we did that resulted in our salvation. God made us initially, our first birth, pretty amazing. The ultimate picture of this might be the Olympic athlete. Body finely tuned with muscles smoothly flowing effortlessly over their exquisite frames. I love watching the Olympics. The problem comes with fallen human nature. Some of them think they did it themselves. (laughs) And like all sinful creatures, they begin to boast in their accomplishments. Alas, but some have boasted about the salvation that God gave them. Like they earned it or something. But God chose them. God chose us. We did not choose to be born the first time. We didn't the second either. And now we can get to win. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Want some further proof that you had nothing to do with your salvation in that sense? When did God decide that we should be holy and blameless without him? Oh yeah, when did we get our start? Before the foundation of the world, right? There are a group of true believers, by the way, true believers. I grew up with some of them. My dad was one of them. (laughs) That say, well, yes. God chose us before the foundation of the world, but you see, God can see all time. So he could see that we were going to choose him, so he chose us. Well, let me just say that this is not logical. (laughs) Weird, my dad was a very logical man. Augustus Strong answered this line of thinking like this. If God knows something, is it true? Is it? If God knows it, Does God actually know what was, is, and will be? If we answer anything but yes, we are denying the Bible's teaching. Alright? Okay, God knows, so it's true. If something is true, then, if God knows it, it's already fixed, it's set, it's for sure. Yes? I mean, wouldn't that make sense? If He knows it, then it must be for sure. For instance, God knew he would create the universe, right? Now, the creation of the universe was just as sure before it happened as when it happened because God knew it, right? So with our salvation. And if God knew he would save us, it was fixed as a fact before it even happened. And if it was fixed then it was all part of his plan, his decree to be technically accurate, before the foundation of the world. Now, we all like to think we should have 
control of our lives. <laughs> hey, I'm the one who decides what happens to me. I am the master of my fate. <laughs> uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this is a satanic idea. It comes from Satan, not from God. God is the creator and he alone has the right to determine what things happen, including our creation, including our recreation, our redemption. And he will make us holy and blameless before him. The New King Jim translators, I like it. They, they render it holy and without blame before him. I kind of like that. The really good news about God being the author and finisher of our faith, he does the job right. <laughs> okay? Unlike if we redeemed ourselves, you know, how we would do it, I don't know about you, but the perfection is probably not going to be there. But with God it is. We, you and me, us, I mean, think about it. We will be holy and blameless. We will be without blame. We will stand before God the Father. Holy, blameless. Who? Us? You and me? You know, look, Pastor, you don't know what it's like in our house. You don't know what I do when no one is looking. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've thought. Fair enough. But God does. He knew everything you would do before he ever created the world, he knew everything you would think before anything in this universe was. And he chose you before he ever created the world to be holy and blameless before him. Uh, why? What is the reason for redemption in love? He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. In love, according to the purpose of His will. His will. What does God want? <laughs> what does He know is right? Let's approach it from the other direction. Does anybody think they really get how God thinks? Me and God, we're just pals, you know. We think like, in fact, we finish each other's sentences sometimes. I don't think so. I mean, we will never understand for sure on this earth what it is that drove our Father God to predestine us for adoption as His children except that it's love. It's a requirement of His love. Who God is in love means those of us who were called had to be called. Okay? Or God would have to deny His very nature, which, which is impossible. Predestined is just a shorthand way of saying all that that Paul already said. We don't really know why. God chose us. <laughs> we aren't God. But we do know that no human deserves to be saved, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
Paul says later in this letter. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one can attain the glory of God without his help. Not Billy Graham. Not Mother Teresa. Not even Mary, Jesus' mother, could achieve such a thing. She sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Certainly, you and me, (laughs) we can't do this. So why did He save us? Well, Scripture does give us at least one good reason for His pleasure. (laughs) You ever heard the expression, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? (laughs) Okay. I don't know if that's true, but I do know that God's pleasure always results in joy for His children. Always. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Adoption. Adoption is for those who are not natural children. Right? Spiritually, we were not God's children. (laughs) We really were in Satan's camp. Every last one of us. But God loved us so much that He adopted us into His family. Well, you could say He's already started the paperwork, as it were. And remember, everything God knows, (laughs) we're in His family, is for sure. In love, He predestined us for adoption to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. This is the very base of Christianity, the foundation. Even though we don't deserve it, God saved us. We are accepted by God the Father because of the work of the Son, the Beloved. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Okay, we've looked at the Father's love in choosing us. Now Paul shows us the work of the Son, the recipe for redemption. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. Our return, redemption, to the Father is made possible through the blood of the Son. His sacrifice by which we have forgiveness for our sins. Remember, we are going to be holy and blameless before Him. We will be holy and blameless before Him. This is possible through the death of the Beloved because He is rich in grace. We are not rich in grace and so thus saved. No, He lavished grace upon us. Lavished is a great word. It means to be generous, to pour out like water, to deluge a person with something. There's this little town in southern Idaho called Lava Hot Springs, for the obvious reason. They have a number of swimming pools there, including an Olympic-sized pool, complete with five 7.5 and 10-meter diving platforms. I've actually dived off all of those. Now, if one goes there on an off day, early in the morning, 
You can be the only person in that huge pool with that naturally heated water, all by yourself, deluged in the warmth of an ocean of grace. Um, water there, but, <laughs> but you see where Paul's going here. Lavished with grace. Grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What was God trying to achieve? The unity of his creation with and in himself. The bringing together of his children in himself. In Paul's time, the concern was the unity of the Jewish and Gentile Christians. It was a mystery to people until then how, how God might pull this off. How are you going to bring these people together? Jewish people thought it would be by making all those Gentiles stick to the Jewish laws, you know, like circumcision, certain food. Most Gentiles thought, eh, probably not, okay, <laughs> not into that. And they were right, and the church was created. A church which needs unity more now than ever. Unity in him. We don't, we don't have time to talk about it now, but unity is not achieved by being tolerant of those who act contrary to the Scripture and, that, and tolerant of that behavior. Read the letters to the Corinthian church and you'll discover how quickly that can go wrong. We must adhere with vigilance to the proper protocol of Scripture, if we want to say it that way. It is critically important especially as the chasm between the behavior in our society and that to which the church is to conform continues to widen. In the millennium, unity under Christ will be required of all people. Unity in eternity with the Father and the Son will be our natural behavior. Looking forward to that. <laughs> And unity always brings God pleasure. And remember, when God is happy, all his family is happy. So, unity. We'll talk about that another day. Which brings us to the goal that was in mind at the creation of our redemption, which is the result of redemption. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Paul reiterates some important points. Predestined, God doing his will, not ours. But Paul starts with, we have obtained an inheritance. We who? Well, he says so in verse 12. We who were the first to hope in Christ. First, yes, the, the first generation of believers those who were directly taught by Christ. We would be then those Jews who saw that their real hope was in Christ. They were the first Christians. It's important to understand that they believed under the old system before Christ's resurrection. They, they believed then too. There's a whole thing about the people of Israel who get an inheritance which was planned before they existed because he, God, wills it through Christ for which he should be praised and because of which he will be praised. We're not going to deal with that today. It's too much to consider now, but 
just know that the Ephesian church knew Paul and his teachings. They, they already knew him, so they understood all that he was referring to here. Let's continue on to Paul's next phrase, which is directly related to us today. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Your salvation is our salvation, the second and on generations of believers, everyone else. Those believers in Ephesus were taught by one who was taught by Christ. But we have the same word of truth that they had. The good news of our salvation is contained in the word of God. It fascinates me that we need to believe so God before he ever created the world, chose us to believe. <laughs> but his love for us leads him to let us be a part of our salvation by believing. <laughs> That's a wonderful thing. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Which leads us to what may be the greatest part of this whole deal. <laughs> Redemption's surety. We heard the word of truth and we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There's, there's just a lot here in this verse. To seal was a well-known and respected official government action. Sort of like the signing of treaties in our time that we've seen after World War II, any time they sign a treaty. That, this is the idea of this seal it was the guarantee of the officials that what was on the paper was now absolute and would be carried out to the full. Okay, that's what the seal was. You become a citizen? No, not till the seal's attached. You've purchased a property? Mm -hmm. Once the seal's affixed, it's not yours until then. Okay, that's how official, that's what he's saying. Seal, absolute. These were the promises of a government what is the promise of God the Holy Spirit? All who believe have an inheritance. <laughs> we haven't acquired possession of it yet. So how do we know we'll get it? <laughs> do you know God? Then you know that if He says it, it will happen. Which brings to mind a thought. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. <laughs> God guarantees we'll receive our inheritance. God's guarantee is absolute. goes beyond life. No man, not even you yourself, can thwart God's plans for you. No one starts a race without knowing where the finish line lies. <laughs> Remember our finish line? Our inheritance? We're not there yet. But we will be. And for this reason, we end where we started. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If we believe, there are five things we must remember. Remember that the Father chose to redeem us before time began. Remember that he redeemed us in love according to the purpose of his will. We didn't deserve it. No one does. 
but somehow his plan includes loving us and choosing us. We must remember that the Son gave his blood so that we could be redeemed. Before we ever were, he was our substitute in death, a death we deserved. We must remember that we gain an inheritance because of our redemption so that Christ will be glorified. We must remember that when we were redeemed, the Holy Spirit guaranteed our inheritance. Before we were ever born, he determined that we would acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Bless the Lord. O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Bless the Lord. O my soul. Father, we would like to be pouring out blessings to you in our gratefulness, in our deep thanks. But really, there's nothing more we can give you than our words and our hearts and our lives. Help us, Lord, to show our love for you because of your love for us in whatever way you give to us. Help us to show others the glory of your choosing. Every human being walking this planet could be one of your children. Help us to show them the way and draw them to you. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much for this great plan of redemption that you made for us because you loved us. Don't understand it? But I don't really need to. I just need to know you and your son who died for me and have your Holy Spirit living within me. That's all we need, Lord. Thank you, Father, for all of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.